100% born in the Appalachian Mountains and made in the USA, Timber Ninja Outdoors provides a range of mobile hunting options to accommodate diverse hunting preferences. Whether you prioritize comfort, lightweight design, or versatility, their two-panel and single-panel saddles collection has something for everyone. The Black Belt Nano is the lightest single-panel saddle available on the market, weighing in under a pound. The saddle is designed with the minimalist hunter in mind, focusing on lightweight functionality and breathability. One notable feature is the patent-pending magnetic stick clip system on the side, which allows for convenient transportation of sticks up the tree, as well as a built-in platform holder. The Nano Saddle can be folded up to the size of a Nalgene bottle, enabling easy portability. With a four-way stretch material on the back for a comfortable fit, as well as strategically placed padding for hip pinch relief. You can use code EASTMEETSWEST to get free shipping on any Timber Ninja order. If you try it out and don't like it, send it back within 30 days for a full refund. Learn more at TimberNinjaOutdoors.com and sign up for their email newsletter for exclusive discounts and product drops. When it comes to optics, I get the same question over and over again. What are the best all-around binoculars? Well, it's tough to find something that works in every condition great, but after using a pair of Maven B1.2 10x42s, I think I found them. They feature an 8x or a 10x option, superior low light performance, tack sharp edge-to-edge clarity, a generous depth of field, and a silky focus mechanism. All of Maven Optics have a lifetime no-fault warranty and hail from the great state of Wyoming. I've been using Maven Optics since I bought my first pair in 2017, and I think you should test them out for yourself. Head over to mavenbuilt.com and use the code EASTMEETSWEST-GIFT for a free gift with any full price optics order. For all of those that want a truck bed cover for work or play, Diamondback makes the top of the line heavy duty covers that help you do more with your truck. They're perfect for the truck owning, avid sportsmen, outdoor enthusiasts, and weekend project warriors. I'm currently using the HD cover that can is capable of holding up to 1,600 pounds on the top. And then I have the Yakima overhaul HD bars on top so I can put my rooftop tent on it. When I'm not using my rooftop tent and able to use the trifold design of the Diamondback, I have the Crossbin 8 in there to organize all of my stuff in the back of my truck bed. Diamondback is made right here in Phillipsburg, Pennsylvania. If you want to check them out, head over to diamondbackcovers.com. If you've wanted that hunting camp tradition that we talk about, that experience, but you don't have a hunting camp of your own, you're welcome to come stay at my hunting camp up here in the Pennsylvania wilds called the Elk Crossing Getaway in the PA wilds. So if you go over to Airbnb, you can check out our three-bedroom, one-and-a-half-bath house that's right in the heart of Pennsylvania elk country. It's only minutes away from a bunch of public land to be able to hunt, hiking trails, outdoor recreation, fishing, all of those things there. The house is completely fully stocked with everything that you need to be able to, to spend a week hunting deer, taking your family up to see the elk, anything like that. So if you head over to Airbnb and search Elk Cross and Getaway in the PA Wilds, you'll find my listing there and you can rent out my house to send us a message and inquiry that you're interested in it and mention that you heard it on the podcast here, then we'll get you 10% off of your first day. Are you an adventurer looking to take your hunt to the next level? Then you're in the right place. Welcome to East Meets West Hunt with your host, Bo Martonic. 
Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of the East Meets West Hunt podcast presented by Spartan Forge. On today's episode, I am joined by Damon Bungard. Damon has done a lot of backpack whitetail hunts in the Appalachian Mountains over the years, specifically with a muzzleloader. We discuss a successful backcountry mountain buck hunt in Tennessee that Damon had last year, backpack whitetail hunting essentials, why hunting with a muzzleloader opens up opportunities, and much more. On today's Mountain Buck Monday story of the week, we have a story coming from John Michael Tussle out of Pennsylvania. In 2021, it was a tough year for encounters with only three buck encounters coming into the late season. As January rolled around, I decided to make a last-ditch effort back in the Pocono Mountains in eastern Pennsylvania. I set a stand on a bench just outside of a bedding area that had a trail the deer took to head for the oak flat on the ridgetop. On January 3rd, it was 4 degrees when I got in the stand for the afternoon sit. At 4.30, a group of does came scooting across the bench down the right trail past me. A minute later, I could hear more deer coming. A really nice buck and two more does were coming across the hill lower, but angling my way. I came to full draw as the lead doe stopped at only 6 yards. With the freezing cold temps and no wind, the woods were dead silent. I rolled to the click in my hinge knowing I would likely have to take a walking shot on the buck as he came across the trail 15 yards. When my release clicked, the doe started high-stepping away and the buck followed at a slower walk. I led him and made a shot. I immediately knew I'd hit him in the shoulder on the front edge and was unsure how vital that shot was. I spun around the tree and knocked another arrow and saw him standing stopped. I could see blood on the front of his shoulder, but I knew I needed to hit him again. I guessed him at about 42 yards, drew again, and held above him trying to get a better arrow into him. With a narrow gap to shoot through, I made the best shot I could and saw the arrow impact into his shoulder and pass through the offside. With my hands numb and having not seen the buck fall, we left him overnight with the freezing temps and made our way back to look the next day. A sparse blood trail made it difficult and we ran out of blood on the edge of a hemlock bottom. My dad and I split up to try to see if we could pick anything up. About halfway down the bottom, I spotted a white rack sticking up. He was lying dead in the brush under a hemlock. I was elated and thankful to have taken my third mountain buck in a row, a mature five-and-a-half-year-old eight-point, my second largest PA buck, and my 50th deer with a bow to boot. Congratulations, John Michael. That's your third story out of four that you've submitted in the last four years. So you're doing something right because that's a, another beautiful buck that you've been able to to submit here. And uh, so congratulations again. If anybody has a mountain buck story they want to submit, please send it to my email, bodiesmeetswesthunt.com. Just a short paragraph or two about the story, about the hunt and uh, some photos along with it that helps out a lot love being able to share that if you want to check out john michael's buck or any of the other ones head over to instagram at east meets west hunt or east meets west outdoors on facebook give it a like and follow and uh, check those out Uh, i am back from south dakota so i went to south dakota with on a family trip uh, with my cousins my dad my uncles a lot of fun and uh, I'll, i'll probably record a podcast on this later we actually did not record one uh while we were out there and uh but i'd like to get 
some of some of the family together to talk about it at some point here. Uh, but we did end up with a couple of bucks down. The deer population was not very good, uh, but we found deer, found some bucks towards the end of the trip there, and we were able to put a couple down. So it was a really sweet hunt and just a lot of fun setting up deer camp in the woods and just on a piece of public ground and, and, um, a lot of fun to, to be able to do that. And like I said, I'll, I'll share more on that later, but, um, now I'm back in Pennsylvania and as the time of, uh, recording this intro, it's October 11th. And, um, so it's a little bit before this, this one will come out about a week ahead, but I hadn't even been, I haven't been in the deer woods since August, which is crazy for me. But, uh, I'm looking forward to getting out this week and weekend and just a little bit, uh, start, start getting in the groove of things here and start putting some effort into whitetails and, and, uh, see what we can, what we can turn up. I feel pretty good about things, even though I haven't spent a lot of time in the woods. Uh, but nonetheless, it's, uh, I'm sure it's going to be a grind of a season here. So hope everyone else has been having some good, good luck so far. Uh, and the last thing I want to say is I started there, I believe last week, uh, with a weekly Q and a podcast that I run here for a couple months. So if you haven't checked that out, that's just a short 10 to 20 minute episode that, uh, comes out on Fridays based on questions that I've received from all of you. And I try to answer one or two questions in the, in the podcast to the best of my abilities based on my opinions and experience. So uh, I have that in both audio and video format. So you can check that out on YouTube or where you're listening to this right now. And um, if, if you like it, please let me know. And uh, also send in your questions by either commenting on the YouTube videos with your questions or sending an email to bodiesmeetswesthunt.com and put in the subject line Mountain Buck Q&A. And I'd love to be able to get to some of these questions and, and be able to answer them and, and help you out. Uh, lastly, if you like the podcast, been helpful, this information is good for you, please share with your friends, leave a rating and review, and uh, all that stuff helps out so much uh, with continuing to do this. So thanks, everyone. Good luck hunting and stay safe. All right. We're live. Damon Bungard, welcome back to the podcast. It's been a little bit. Yeah. Thanks for having me back on. Appreciate it. Always good to catch up and tell hunting stories. Yeah, it's it's funny we were talking before this. I I don't remember when the first time I had you on, but I want to say it was 2019, something along those lines. Because I remember talking to you um, uh, back in 2020 when I went to Alaska on a caribou hunt, and you helped me get hooked up with a rifle and everything. And we we had talked then, and I knew we'd recorded a podcast before then, and I think we did one on tracking afterwards. But it's been it's been a little while. Yeah, it's been a, been a few years, some changes. Yeah, for yeah. sure. Yeah. Um, yeah, I was just thinking about Alaska the other day. I had another buddy looking to go up there, and I was kind of like, hmm, I'm kind of over, overdue. I was looking at old photos, and I was like, the last time I was there was 2019, but I was on Kodiak. Uh, and I used to go up there and fly fish a lot, like a month at a time. Um, and I was like, you know, I just need to go back just to fly fish. Like, I just love it up there. It's yeah. so nice. <laughs> yeah no it's it's um it's a special place i mean as it, with the time this comes out i'd already have been there but i'm going up in a couple of weeks here um okay. so i'm going up moose hunting 
for the first cool. time. So I'm super excited about that. And I'm actually going back to Kodiak um, then later in the year in late October, early when November I- for the first time too. And those trips weren't supposed to happen on the same year. It was one of those things where it was like an opportunity. I either had to jump on it or, or I was going to miss it with the, with the moose hunt. But I've had that Kodiak hunt booked for a few years now to go do just DIY getting dropped off on a boat. Yep. And um, we did, we did the, with the, the Nilchik, I want to say, charters, living on the boat and getting dropped on. Yeah. Um, my dad, me and my dad, we ended up getting a decent buck last day. So um, it was fun. But yeah, we had, we had some bad weather. It's my hard time getting on shore even but um, in certain spots. But uh, it was, a, I think it's good policy when opportunities to hunt present themselves take them. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. That was, um, I, I was going to say that uh, now, well, now things have changed a little bit up there where it's one deer. Um, yep. you can only shoot one deer, but, um, I remember you, you put out a YouTube video on that, didn't you? On that hunt? Yeah. It's called Kodiak. Yeah. Oh, Kodiak. Yeah. I was going to say, I remember watching it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, as good as my dad. Um, and he couldn't, we were hoping for better traffic on the beaches because he, he's, he's not super mobile. Um, but he actually didn't get he didn't he didn't get one. Um, but we had to press and climb and and find some stuff. Um, but eventually we did. We ended up with two in the end and some nice halibut. So it was still a good trip. Yeah. Um, so you just never know what you get in Alaska with weather. Yeah, I know. I, I'm. It was so hard for me to want to do it from the standpoint of missing like my favorite time of year for whitetail hunting. But right. at the same time, it's like, I just love Alaska and I just want to experience as much of that as I can. Um, and you know, you just never know how long opportunities stick around or things to be able to do. So it's like gonna, gonna do it while I'm young and, and see, yeah, and just experience it. So that's great. Get after it. Look forward to hearing the stories and seeing the videos. Yeah, no, definitely. But Damon, for anyone that uh, hadn't listened to you on here before or doesn't know anything about you, do you want to give a brief background on who you are and kind of what you're all about? Sure. So um, uh, grew up military dependent all, all over the world. Um, uh, went to school at Clemson. Um, uh, and but while I was at Clemson, I started professionally whitewater kayaking and that then kind of I worked in the defense industry and then paddling and then eventually transitioned into the paddle sports industry full time for Jackson Kayak. And um, and that has led to other you know roles in the outdoor industry from a product development side of n- number of patents on, on products. But um, always been a lifelong hunter uh, and just fisherman. I'm, you know, I'm 46. I've uh, been hunting probably since I was six, I guess, um, ish. Uh, you know, like a lot of kids, I took my first deer and I think I was 12. Um, and just have always, uh, you know, enjoyed outdoor adventures, whether it's with a fly rod or why would a kayak or, um, backpacking, rock climbing, and then finding ways to kind of combine them all, um, uh, and putting, you know, putting food in the freezer. And then, uh, I have, uh, a tracking dog, Jaeger tracks. So a lot of people know me from Jaeger. Um, uh, and helping hunters find lost games. So we did a podcast on that, but that's, uh, you know, it's a website and YouTube channel for Jaeger. And, um, so we recently moved from, we always talked when I lived in Tennessee, uh, and had a lot of great, we lived kind of like a halo of public land. We had like 50,000 acres of like playground around me there. And I learned to whitewater kayak in college. I was a co-op student up here in Southern Virginia near Blacksburg. 
Um, and I learned to paddle in the new river and that eventually, you know, became a over decade long career. Um, and then as we had a son and kind of life changes and, you know, COVID, everything kind of, we just, my wife and I decided, you know, we're going to move somewhere with good schools, but that still has a lot in our value system, which is access to rivers and water and access to big check sections of national forest and, and public land, um, and good news, good people, good educational system. So we ended up picking Blacksburg and put our finger on it and figured out how to get here. So yeah. <laughs> here we are. Um, and, uh, now starting to like, you know, teach Barrett things and teach him to shoot, shoot a bow and, uh, you know, pass on stuff to, to him. And then, uh, still doing Jaeger stuff when I can and doing hunts. And I, you know, I did another backpack hunt in Tennessee, just put a video out on that. Um, and, uh, you know, a lot of people and a lot of your listeners are interested in, you know, backpack hunting and, and hunting Eastern and a Western style, which I've been doing for a long, long time. Yeah, you have. Um, uh, and so here we are to try to help and tell stories and, and <laughs> inspire some people to, to get out there. Yeah. It's, it's funny because I had, I had, um, I'd learned a lot about backpack hunting, you know, in the West and, and in the East from you, you know, over the years and the beginning years when I was learning how to do it and, and everything. And it's, it's super cool. When you sent me a text, you were like, Hey, I just put out this new video of backpack hunting in Tennessee. And I was like, heck yeah. Like I love, love, <laughs> love getting to see that and, and watching it and just like how you do the videos is pretty cool because it's just, it's very raw from your point of view. And it's like, you're, you're there from that standpoint and just being able to show it all and just explain that. it. And I, I, I really enjoy getting to see that. And there's just some, some Cooper, uh, super cool, uh, landscape and stuff where you're at and a lot of like rock shelves and cliffs and some steepers, you know, just yeah. mountain type stuff that you're backpacked in there and, and everything. So that's, I, th I think that's really cool. And, and it's the other thing I wanted to mention before we get into that story is, um, you know, you were one of the beginning ones that introduced me to tracking dogs as well. Um, you know, through Jaeger tracks, which you have a lot of good content around that that's out there to help people. But you taught me about like, united blood trackers and all this stuff and i've had to use them since then and and have gained relationships with trackers in pennsylvania and and actually i remember the one time i'd i'd called you i think it was a few years back 2021 um when uh i believe i don't think i had the blood tracker come out yet but i hit a deer and and at that point, I felt like I could get a hold of them. So I was calling you just to like get your, you know, opinion right. on it, on the shot and everything. And, and you described it just right. And then, then the dogs came out and realized that, you know, unfortunately the deer was still alive at that point. And it was uh, one lung gut shot hit essentially. And that was, you know, six, eight hours later and he was still alive and he ended up dying right there where we jumped him and he only went another 15 feet. But, um, it was, it was interesting being able to watch those dogs work and be able to see it and watch like, you know, I remember right, right. Like the split second before we jumped that deer, the handler looked at me and goes, that deer's still alive. And he said, by the way, this dog started pulling as soon as we crossed this Creek. And he's like, that deer's still alive. And then right at that point, that deer jumped up and he's like, let's get out of here. Let's, you know, back out. And yep. it was uh super interesting, but I, I just think that, that just, I was glad you opened my eyes to that. And it seems like it's making a bigger wave now across the country than it was, you know, 
three, even three, four years ago, um, to, to, yeah. you know, people knowing about it and utilizing it and more people being trained to do it and having dogs that, that do that. And I think it's so helpful to, to be able to go out and honestly, if, if I don't see a deer really fall inside or I'm not hundred percent sure on the shot, I'm calling a tracker if they're available to come help because just the, the peace of mind of, of them being able to help out. Yeah, well, I'm glad to hear it. Um, for anybody that doesn't know, you can go on United Blood Trackers website, put in your zip code and find trackers near you. And that's in the last five years, there's been a lot of states who have changed laws. There's a lot of legacy laws about hunting deer with dogs. And, you know, tracking is not a deer's been shot, dogs controlled on a leash. And that's kind of what's changed a lot in a lot of places. And a lot of people have been a lot of efforts. Um, and even some Canadian provinces now are switching. Um, and nice. I personally have sent footage, raw footage to game wardens and people making policies in, in Alberta to, to present to legislatures to, to so they know what's really involved. Um, but like what you touched on there, that, you know, you learn a lot tracking about what, what marginal hits really, what the deer really does. Um, and those, those quartering shots, um, while sometimes they just happen, especially in archery, maybe the deer just moves a little bit. Um, maybe you deflect something you didn't see, but those quartering shots, uh, it's, you know, oftentimes that deer will still be alive at the six, eight hour, 10 hour mark. Um, yeah. and most of those, you know, it's default 12 hours, you know, usually if somebody will call me in the evening and, and explain what happened and I question them about it and they'll be like, I'll see, and I'll see you tomorrow. And I'm like, no, I come back. I'm like, Nope, we're just going to bump that deer. Yeah. <laughs> like, I'll see you in the morning. Uh, um, so yeah, it's, uh, it's been a, a, it's been a great thing. It's been a great way for me to give back to the hunting community. And, um, it's also taught me a lot. I mean, again, I've been hunting for, uh, you know, almost 40 years, I think I said before we began. And, um, you know, I, I've lost some animals in that time. Um, like anybody who's hunted that long, you know, like the yeah. ass, uh, and, um, but you learn more Jaegers. I'll learn. I've, I've been tracking with them now for six years, but you'll learn more taking tracking calls and, one or two seasons then you'll learn in a lifetime of hunting because because you see all the marginal ones you see yeah you know a concentration of of not only the bad but you know the stuff that happens you didn't plan for well yeah <laughs> i mean honestly if a deer you know obviously if a deer dies in sight or you hear it crash they're probably not calling a tracking dog so it's usually right. for those marginal or not great hits so you kind of get to see and i'm sure you can kind of uh tell you know someone's being like, oh, this is where I hit them at. And you're probably like, sometimes like, eh, I don't think so. <laughs> there's, there's a lot that goes on. Um, and <laughs> a lot of times the hunters, I don't say they lie. They just, but they don't know. Um, and sometimes it's a really, really good shot, especially in muzzleloader season, um, which, which we can touch on more detail later. But um, a lot of times a muzzleloader, you know, there's cloud, obviously. Um and the hunter will have been looking at the deer he wanted to shoot, but he will see after the cloud a different deer run. Yep. And so they'll they'll wait and they'll climb down and they'll go look for sign. And then, oh, I missed or it's bad shot or, you know, whatever. I don't see anything. And then we'll show up and Jaeger will go one way. And the hunter's like, no, 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 the deer ran that way. And I'm like, I'm going to go with what Jaeger's telling me here. And this just oftentimes there's just another deer that was there they never saw. And that's the one they saw run away. And they never even know where their actual deer went. Yep. Um, uh, or it's, they're just commonly not exit wounds on muzzle loader season. So, um, and then there's lots of what happens in archery and just different nuances, depending on a weapon that's, that's being used, but you, you, you see it all. Yep. 
No, that, that makes that makes a lot of sense. But to kind of go back to what we were uh, discussing about your Tennessee hunt, so kind of explain a little bit there and like why you one why you like to do the backcountry backpack style hunts, and then just kind of get into the story a little bit. Sure. Well, it, it certainly started for me. I would say that the life changing moment in my hunting was a caribou hunt I did in Quebec probably 2006 ish. Um, uh, and like, I had never done like the gutless method. Right. Um, and, and so my father and brother and I went up to Quebec, um, and there was this really nice older lady. Um, I'm blanking on her name. Um, but, uh, she was a, you know, certified main guide. Um, and just kind of, you know, wilderness woman, just kind of crunchy. And, um, <laughs> and we, she was like, you know, if you get a few down and you need help, you know, self-guided, they just gave you the boat and the motor. Um, but she was like, you know, if you can radio back to camp and I'm free, I can come help. And then we got, it was, it was, it ended up being a pretty hard hunt. It, like I saw a bunch of, we saw a bunch of bulls the first day. I took a photo of one, like 40 yards and we had two tags and I was like passing bulls, taking their pictures. And then it was like four days of not seeing fur. And they're like, what was I doing on the day, on the first day? Like, oh, I'll just read my tags for big bulls and whatever, whatever. Then it was like, I am not going home without a bunch of caribou meat. So anyway, like towards the end of that week, uh, my father, brother, and I, we all shot a caribou on the st- mountaintop like together. And my dad and brother don't really know how to deal with meat. Um, so I messaged her um, and was like, you know, I got a few bulls down. Can you, I'm going to take care of mine. Can you come help my dad and my brother? Um and she just showed up with like a Leatherman tool. And I was still like old school, gut it, you know, like, you know, quarters and full. And then she shows up and like showed me the gutless method. Like she uses on stuff on moose and stuff. And I was like, oh, this is a game changer. Like, like, yeah. <laughs> like this is, this is totally a game changer. Um, and I, that term gets overused. But once you realize like you don't have to drag an animal you kill, it changes the way you think. Um, there's been a lot of times in my hunting life, you know, it will be really deep in the swamp in Georgia or something. Um, I grew up a lot hunting in Georgia. And like, after a while, you're like, I don't want to kill something in here. I can't like, I can't get it out. Like there's no point. Um, so we might as well hunt, hunt shallower, not go as deep, so to speak. Um, and then once, uh, once that happened, I was like, I can hunt wherever I want now. Yeah. <laughs> like, like I can, I mean, I don't have to worry. Like, you know, you kill a big, 400 300 pound boar in a swamp like you can't move them anyway um you know and i've been i've been there where i'm using machetes and saws and we're trying to get a polaris through cypress knees and it's just like it's not fun and you got a crew of six dudes <laughs> and now and now it's like oh i kill a big boar it's no problem i do i do him just like i do a caribou or a moose or an elk or a deer i do the same thing on everything but anyways that it was that i think her name was beth now uh it was Beth's lessons on you know how to do that with the caribou and quickly pro- get them into bags and in packs. And then I was like, my as as a backpacker in, in college, I guided backpacking and rock climbing uh, a lot on the Appalachian Trail, different parts of Georgia and uh, North Carolina. And it was like, and then even Vermont and the Green Mountains. But it was like I can go wherever I want now. Yeah. Um, and I'm totally comfortable living in a, out of a backpack for a week. No problem. I, you know, I've done that um, for decades. Uh, it was just the, adding the gun part. Um, so when so when we moved to Tennessee from Vermont, 
it was in, in Vermont, you know, a lot, a lot of trackers, but it's it's the snow trackers, right? Like you wait for snowfall and you no no dog involved, human eye just following footprints in the snow. Um, and and you need kind of bigger tracks for that. And I moved to Tennessee and there was one spot I wanted to hunt and I asked some locals, I was like, well, who hunts, you know, this gore to this, this area and this, and, and they were like, well, nobody hunts in there. You can't get a deer out. And I remember the quote of one guy saying, one local dude saying, deer just get old and die in there. And I was like, okay, all I need to know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, um, and so I just started exploring it. Um, and again, we had like, there's, you know, in Tennessee on the East Cumberland Plateau, there's state land, there's WMAs, there's also national forest down by the Okoe and stuff and the more Southern. So there's various flavors of, of public. Um, and, uh, you know, it was, it was just my way of getting away. And, and in my six, seven years of hunting there, you know, I've never seen a human, um, still, uh, and, and unless it was a friend coming in to help me or I, I shot one, it was a quartering liver shot. I knew it was, I backed out, went back with Jaeger and friends to find him. Um, that's one thing tracking teaches you too. It's like, really nice when you have an insurance policy at home you're like well screw it i'm going home yeah <laughs> i don't need to worry about trying to find this thing on my own i have a jaeger at home um, <laughs> but uh so it just became kind of like an annual thing uh and and then we made a film uh 2016-ish um uh i had a a, a camera a, a filmer a videographer um who again wasn't a hunter, um, he, but he's from South Africa. And his name's Steve Fisher, and uh, he's a kayaker, uh, Red Bull athlete. And um, Steve went in there, I took him, and and we filmed an incredible hunt, you know. And it was like I called in a buck uh, with the muzzle loader, killed it, and then um, made a camp at this cave that's got cool air blowing out of it to keep meat cool, and then cut that deer's rack off and rattled in a bigger buck the next day. And like, even like rattling, like people in the East often say, well, that doesn't work, blah, 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 blah. I'm like, well, if you, the right place is the right time and low deer densities that aren't pressured by humans where they're not suspicious of it, I can tell you right now it works. Yeah. Um, and that I hunt from the ground in there. I don't hunt from trees and many, you know, many years I can't tell you how many instances I, all of the deer I killed in there were running to me and I shot them with me either kneeling or standing in the open at 20 yards or ish. And, um, has worked repeatedly. Um, and it just worked on a film I just posted on my YouTube. Uh, and that was from 20 to 2022 hunt. And this was actually the first time that I've done it fully solo. Usually I'll have a friend come in or, um, have some kind of company somewhere along the way um, or uh, I'll call a friend to come help me pack a deer out or something like that. Um, but this time uh, the situation, it was, you know, November muzzle loader and that's kind of peak there. Like I definitely tend to tag out muzzle loader season down there. Um, the bucks are just searching and they're, they're in there and they'll, they'll engage audibly um, regularly. I've actually, there was another great crazy story of, uh, this was a, the bow hunt only in, in fall because Fall Creek Falls State Park is a bow hunt. And um, uh, like I literally. Have you ever wanted to have Levi Morgan, Andy May, Johnny Stewart and others available at all times? 
what you can with Cyber Scout from Spartan Forge. Cyber Scout is like the chat GPT for outdoors men and women. You can ask it any questions related to bow building, scouting, hunting, survival, and a whole lot more. I think you'll be impressed with how it responds. Cyber Scout is currently out now for a select group of early beta testers and will be available to the rest of you really soon. The entire app is a complete tool for planning your hunt with incredible aerial imagery mapping, journaling, deer prediction, and some of the most accurate and detailed weather data. Use the code EASTMEETSWEST to save 20%, and if you're still on the fence, give the 14-day free trial a chance at SpartanForge.ai. CVA has been America's number one selling muzzleloader brand for over a decade. Hunting with a muzzleloader opens up a ton of hunting opportunities across the U.S., and I've been using the Acura series, but they don't only make badass muzzleloaders. Their line of centerfire rifles are great quality and not terrible on the wallet. The Cascade short barrel is ideal for tight quarters, deer drives, and quick shots in the big woods. You can check out their line of muzzleloaders, rifles, and accessories for every season and every range at bpioutdoors.com slash CVA. If you use the code EASTMEETSWEST10, you'll get 10% off of all CVA products, which includes rifles, muzzleloaders, and accessories. Chase the buck with a grunt tube in my mouth, like running after him, trying to get him to stop. Like I, he came to me, I was calling and he came and I'm like, rawr, rawr, like running with a recurve. finally he stopped um and then i shot and my my arrow hit a little sapling and the one way he went the other but i was like i I literally just chased the buck with a grunt tube in my mouth (laughs) so some great experiences um but uh you know that just getting in getting in on on deep public where people just don't go and just living there and, and learning it and i've had so many good encounters in there i killed a black coyote in there i saw a logistic wild turkey in there um like just you see cool that kind of where it's can still again low deer densities you know you don't, you don't go in high expectations but i like hunting where the deer aren't pressured and they act like deer yeah. like they like they act, they're not, they're not influenced a lot by what's going on. Now, the problem with a lot of those places on the Cumberland Plateau and down towards, and it's just the thermals, like it's like out West, it can be really predictable thermals, um, uh, up and down, you know, but in some of those Canyon country and the Cumberland Plateau, like the wind can be changing just nonstop, no matter what. And it's like, it's, maybe this Creek is pulling air down and the prevailing winds are over the top and causing swirls. Like, yeah. I've, I've literally like there was this one t- I just kept getting busted and I was like my wind is good you know my wind is good um, and then finally so it was like this cliff band and I like brought in some some yarn some like bright green orange yarn and I hung strands of it from this tree then I climbed to the top of this like eighty foot cliff with binoculars and sure enough the wind that was there was exactly opposite the wind where I was. And that's when I realized like wind was coming down and like blowing around, like just doing weird stuff, um, which you can get in those just terrains that are just bizarre. Um, So it can be, and that's when I kind of like even, so I don't even go into this, that particular spot unless it's the first two weeks of November where I know I haven't been in there, messed anything up. And frankly, the deer are engageable. Um, They're not being cautious. Yeah. Um, 
like they normally would. And the senses are down a little bit and they're just covering, they're moving them. They're starting to move and run ridges and run down draws and cliffs move, you know, dictate their movement a bit. Um, so I, you know, I've, the spot that I, that I hunted, I showed in the, in the video, it's just a rock that I found that just happens to be on the edge of this bluff they bet on. Um, like there's, there's deer beds 20 yards from where I sit and it's just this rock with a tree and I put my pack against that tree and I just sit behind this rock on a sleeping pad and I bring a sleeping pack here. So I want to take a nap. Um, but I can, there's a bunch of white oaks in this draw and the acorns tend to kind of collect in this like Creek that just kind of goes sometimes flows, but usually not, but just gravity kind of brings the acorns, you know, down in there. So the deer are habitually coming there. Yep. And it's just a travel corridor of these big spines and ridges of this, you know, sort of a thousand you know, foot deep, you know, places and, and gorges. And so that kind of terrain, you know, will influence how deer move. It's amazing what they will climb in that stuff. Like I found, I've tracked deer in the snow in there after season and I find little goat paths I never knew existed only because I'm following their tracks in the snow. And I'm like, how did it like, I would have never, ever thought in my wildest dreams deer were using this. Um, and so that's a great advice to anybody on the East is even if it snows after season, get out there and track deer by sight in the, based on their footprints in the snow. And you will learn a ton about what game is doing. I realize what game's doing then may not be what they're doing in hunting season, but you'll still learn a lot of habitual general travel. Habits. Yeah. And how they're just using the terrain, you know, even though right. like a yeah, cover might change, it might take a little bit different route, but you can just kind of see how they funnel through stuff. And, and every area is so different. Like everywhere has their own little things that, that they do, they do differently and kind of how they travel, you know, starting to hunt in, in Southern West Virginia, where it's like straight up, straight down from top to bottom and no, not really even many benches. It's just like literally straight up, straight down. You, you know, that type area. And it's like, but those deer run right off the points and come down more so than they would in Pennsylvania and Ohio and some of these other places I'm at. And it's just like kind of learning how, how they like to, to move through that stuff. And, and, and two, like in that video that you showed, it was, it was a cool spot because, you know, the deer were actually bedding there too, but like seeing from your perspective was kind of like what a deer would be like laying there and what they could see. And it's like anybody coming up that draw, they got you pinned if there were to be anybody right. and just like being able to detect danger. And then it just with the, the big bluff there. And it's just like, it was a really, a really cool spot. And you basically kind of had your own little bait pile there with all the acorns kind of gathering down in that, right. in that drain. Right. Yeah. It's you're spot on. I mean, I'm sitting where I'm sitting, you know, the rock blocks my movement. So it's kind of like being in the ground line. Like my head is exposed to about here and I can, but I can look and move, but like, even when it's time to shoot, I can lay out on that rock and use it as a rest. And they can't see me even moving into the right position to shoot because I'm blocked by the rock from that side. But then from the side, and I've had deer come walk it, walk onto me from that side, but I can hear them first. So just like they're sitting and they're just using their nose, waiting for the wind to tell them. I'm just, by then it's, you know, it's super, super cotton crunch leaves on the ground. Yeah. I can hear them if they're walking, coming up over um, to that bedding little knoll. And, and that's, it's, it's, it's something, another interesting thing tracking has taught me is, um, you know, about where deer bed um 
a lot more and you hear like you hear a lot of you hear a lot of hunters track like tracking calls and the, and you know the deer doubled back and the deer tried to try to fool me by doing a loop and it's like no you're hunting the edge of his bedding area and wounded bucks really have a strong homing sense to get back to their bedding area so you ruined his morning or evening and he runs away and he's like well, i don't want to go back now so he, he loops back um and and so i'm not scared to be in a bedding area uh or on the edge of one um, a lot of times those hunters don't realize it you know but that's the first question tracking if somebody's shot a mature buck that i ask is do you know where this deer beds or do you have an idea where this deer beds because Younger deer and younger bucks and does behave a certain way, but older bucks, they behave different um, once they're wounded. Um, and so this spot, you know, I'm like, people are like, oh, you got to stay out of the bedding area. I'm like, well, not all the time. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like, like there's, there, there's a risk you take. Um, and I've been busted there going in in the dark, um, you know, uh, and I just, just roll with it. Um, but again, I, I try to, concentrate my calling and my time in an area in those mountains like that um to when deer are just naturally moving more they're up on their feet it's more they're moving more in daylight anyway um but they're also you know engaging audibly um uh and this this deer funny thing about this hunt like the video it kind of starts like i'm just like in a cave talking because i'm eating like biltong my friend steve who had been in there with me before made from south africa and um like the deer came I can't, I packed in, spent the night and it was right on the back of a hurricane. Then there was a cold front coming out there, hurricane Nicole. And so I was like, well, I want to be in there when that cold pushes in and it's the right time of year. And, you know, let's see. And it was like the 14th ish. I want to say exactly, but it's somewhere right in there. Um, and so I packed and I'm like, I'm only a few hundred yards from my tent. And this has happened multiple times where I'll go in there, I'll pack in. People are like, aren't you worried about your scent from camping, you know, spooking deer? And no, I, I'm not really. Um, uh, I've killed a deer within 200 yards of my tent there. And this one was maybe 500 yards from my tent. Um, and I just, you know, I got up in that morning and it was still raining. And in the, in the, I guess the front was kind of slowed down. It was still decently warm, humid, still raining. And... So that buck is coming to me. So I'm just rattling, calling, kicking, like, you know, very, very, very loud. Um, and I, and when I do rattle in there, you know, like, I look like a, you know, funky chicken dance, like I'm kicking sticks and breaking stuff and I'm just trying to make as much noise um, as possible. Um, and some people question that sometimes with rattling, they're like, you know, you're I'm like, you ever seen two deer actually fight? Like they're not, they're not jumping 30 feet in the air and going at it free float. Like it's loud. Like they're breaking, they're running around, pushing each other, breaking stuff. Like, um, so I do that. Even when I move, like I move, I will change my gait of my feet and I'll grunt when I move. So I'll, I'll move a lot, checking the wind all the time. And I move and I just try to sound like a deer when I move. I don't fight making noise. I just try to change what the noise I make sounds like. Um, and I may try to sound like a deer. Um, and so I was, you know, I was in there probably just, and it happened many times, you know, you make a big ruckus and then 10 minutes later, here comes, you know, Warren to you. And sure enough, he was coming down this face and um at first you know and and i'm not super picky either like if it's a if it's a two tags and it's you know eight point you know like nice you know three-year-old buck and i'm, I'm shooting it yeah. like i'm not i'm not in there trophy hunting um um and uh 
he's, he's coming down and he turned and he was maybe 50 yards. Um, and I had a little window through some trees. Um, and it's pretty decently timbered um, and shot. And it was, it was it was raining. And then like he runs and like you can hear that wave of rain, you know, like in the, in the just coming. And I was like, oh no. Um, <laughs> so I actually like it was yeah, it, got, it was raining so bad. I took my sleeping pad, my thermo rest, and I just like tucked it against the tree and over my head. And I just like was holding it like a shingle. I was just sitting there like fetal under my sleep under my sleeping pad just like for like a half an hour. Um, and I'm like, and I'm like, well, it's not going to make any blood when I look for this thing. Like it is hammering. Um, and finally there was like a little lull again on that sound of the rain. And I'm like, screw it. I'm running. I'm running. There was this, this big bluff cave that was a few hundred yards away. I'm like, I sprinted to it. So it got, you know, terribly wet, but I was like, <laughs> I know there's going to be, I stashed dry wood in there. So I always have dry wood. Um, uh, so I got in there, you know, made a fire, made coffee, um, and, uh, and, um, it was like two hours I was in there, uh, and, and waiting for the rain to slow down. And then I eventually came out and it was still raining when I started looking for him. So there's no, you don't see the kill shot cause that was all in pouring rain at six 30 in the morning, but, uh, <laughs> yeah, you see the everything else that transpires, um, which I think is probably more educational for most people anyway. A lot of people have seen a deer get shot. Uh, most people haven't seen, you know, a deer get processed, uh, and into a pack and carried back to a tent. So. Yeah, no, no, you're, you're, you're spot on. It's funny because, you know, I had, I had released a video in 2021 and the one I told you where I need the tracking dogs and stuff. And it was one of those, it was the first year I decided I was going to start self-filming. And I was like, um, well, as soon as I got to the tree, I was like, I already made too much noise that I wanted to get in there, getting in. I'm like, I'm not setting up this camera. So I, and it would have been perfect. Like it would have been the most ideal situation for self-filming ever. Well, anyways, but I didn't, you know, I didn't have the kill shot in the video and I was like, I, I don't know what people are going to think of it. And it was like, that's my second most watched video on, on YouTube. And it was like, cause you know, I tried to tell the story around it, which I think you do really well. It was like showing everything and getting, you know, putting educational stuff in there, you know, what, what went wrong, what went right. And just kind of explaining all of it. And for me, that's what I want to see. You know, obviously I like seeing the deer and stuff when he's coming in, that's cool. But like, to, for me, like a, a a good video is just being able to see the whole thing that you know transpires, you know, before, during, and after, you know, sort of deal. Yeah. So that's that's kind of what it is for me. But one question I had around um, your setup was your camping setup and where you had it located at. Like you were saying, you don't worry too much about how close it is to your your hunting spot. But do you are you strategic in any way as far as where you're setting your tent? Um. Mostly, you know, just typical, like, there's obviously like the backpacking factors, you know, don't pitch your tent on a little spot water is going to collect, you know, it's nice when you have a, a spot with fresh water nearby. So, um, you know, I like to sleep flat. So I'll, I'll like, you know, get somewhere I can sleep, you know, flat on the ground and not on a slope. Um, but other than that, it's, it's that particular spot. I, I try to be conscious of what wind tends to do there and that tends to be a spot where you have like there's three ridges and it ends up in this little bowl and again there's a cave so i like the cave because there's a spring water like i can go in there and, and get i don't have to filter um 
I started filtering it after I saw how many how much bat poop was in the water. So I did <laughs> make a mental note, guys. If you're if you find a spring in a cave, at least check the the water for bat poop. Um, <laughs> uh, and I I drank that water straight up for three years. Um, never had a problem, but it was that last time I was like. I mean, this black stuff like like looks kind of mossy, and then I realized this is actually bat poop. Um, <clears throat> so, uh, anyway, I haven't grown wings yet, or I'm not a vampire. So, um, uh, so other than that, though, it's it's you know creeks can dictate airflow. Flowing water pulls air with it. Um, so I, I what I want to try to do is just sit somewhere like if you have water flowing downhill it will tend to pull your scent down with it you know, sometimes it'll counter thermals want to go back up but it'll just tend to move your air with it um so like i'll try to you know do dishes and and you know and then you know dump it into the into the creek or whatever um and i know some people are like, oh you know leave no trace and it's like i'm not like i'm not talking about a lot of stuff here you know it's it's when i'm cleaning out of my pot that's or generally like washing off a spoon yeah <laughs> i'm not like dumping a i'm not dumping a pot of macaroni and cheese into the creek um so that kind of stuff uh but that's kind of yeah, and just when and where, you know, obviously, you know, I don't, I'm not going to be there, you know, cooking dinner that, you know, or, or popping a thing of popcorn at, you know, five in the afternoon during the rut. Um, so it's just trying to, and there's, and there's, there's, there are some black bear around there, but like nothing you got to worry about. Yeah. Um, like really, really low population um, of coming and messing with stuff. So, and I, and I'll still hang food when I leave camp, but um, uh, yeah, as far as, you know, just not a ton. Like I'm not, I'm not overly worried about, I kind of would rather, I guess in my head, I'd rather be camping where the deer are, where I can move and not have to disturb a lot than trying to camp somewhere. Where I, I, and I've done it before in there where in places where I'll camp away, just trying to save, you know, you, if usually a lot of these places, if I'm hunting them without camping, you know, I'm parking the truck at four in the morning and I'm not to my hunting spot till about six 30. So that's yeah. a lot of that's a lot of hiking and yeah. it's off trail loud like it's a lot of just disturbance right yep um have the lamps moving around whereas if i get in there and camp and i hunt near my camp i'm only ever moving a few hundred yards it's just the, the actual i look at it that way the actual impact of sound that i'm having in what is a, really a pretty quiet area there's not a lot of noise pollution there um uh and in all these places, like you, you might hear cars or, you know, a Harley go by on a random road, but for the most part, it's really, really quiet. Um, and so I just try to get in. I'm, I'm of the mindset. If I get in close to where the deer are and can move without messing them up, there's value in that. Especially the, in that, that first two weeks where I don't say their noses are insensitive, but let's face it. I mean, they're, they're being driven by testosterone and breeding drive. Um, more necessarily in self-preservation yeah um no no that that makes a lot of sense you know especially during the rut but even even in different times of year like one thing that that i've learned on the backpack deer hunts that i've done is at first i was like all right i'm gonna i'm gonna set up right in this creek bottom because of you know the thermal pull and like i'm down in this valley i'm gonna go up and i'm gonna hunt over the top you know blah 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 well 
you you know, your first tip that you gave at the beginning was you don't set up your tent in a low spot. You also don't set up a floor of the shelter with a stove in a spot that can thaw out, you know, because it was frozen. There was snow on the ground and stuff. And all of a sudden my sleeping pads in mud, like literal mud in that bottom and yeah. it turned to just like mush and it was terrible. And it's like, so now like if I find mm-hmm. these bottoms, a lot of times I'll just go first bench up, just like, you know, just up above the bank yeah. if I can to find a flat spot and set up there. Water's still not that far away, but you know, you're able to, able to, to do that. And like, for me, I always like, if I have a particular, like say Valley or drainage that I want to hunt, maybe I just like, go around on the other side. So if I am up a little bit and thermals are pulling up, they're not even smelling, you know, my traces behind, but I, 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 cause I was just talking to a guy I was doing some consulting for, um, recently and he was asking about that. He wanted to backpack into the spot and he was showing me the map and, you know, I told him kind of where I would, you know, set up based off of that. And he's like, you don't think that's not, you know, too close to where I'm like, no, I think you, I think you'd be all right. But, uh, yeah, I think can overthink that a little back, bit. I look back and I, I started, I was guiding backpacking trips, three, three to five day trips when I was 19. And, um, I can't tell you how many times I've had deer walk in, like walk into camp, <laughs> like scare whoever we were with, you know, or come in the middle of the night and bark. Um, so I, I think in some places where they're not overly pressured too, like they're, they're not, they don't know. It's almost like, like, you know, like you like touched on caribou, like they're not super scared of humans because they don't know to be. Yeah. Um, and some of these deer you get in some places there, it's just what they're scared of or, or cautious around is just, I think it's a little different scale um, because they haven't really encountered it. Um, and so the biggest challenge you touched on with those with the snow melting and the mud and it's what like i kind of get a kick out of with my with my western buddies um is like moisture management like i i had a titanium so i was going to seek outside shelter um the cimarron and the titanium stove um and that's a very light setup it's it's you know i also have that me and a buddy this is just me but um like moisture management, like it's, it's funny, like, you know, the condensation and moisture in the tent and everybody's like, oh, you, you vent this and you can keep condensation out. I'm like, you hadn't done it in the East, pal. Yeah. <laughs> like, exactly. like you don't know how, the, how much moisture content there is in the ground. Like the amount of moisture in a square yard of Eastern timber is entirely different than the amount of moisture in that same square yard in Montana or Idaho or wherever. Like, Well, I'm shooting a new bow this year and I am pumped. After playing around with a buddy's Hoyt RX-8, the smile on my face made the decision for me. The first thing I noticed with the new Hoyts were their extremely smooth draw cycles and the ability to adjust the back wall to make it rock solid like I prefer. I outfitted my own RX-8 with the inline accessories that made installation extremely easy and balanced out the bow. My favorite accessory so far is a simple one. It's a Go Sticks 2.0 adjustable legs to make your bow like a tripod, but it doesn't interfere with any part of the bow or the limbs or anything like that. In addition, the integrated kickstand within the HBX Exact Cams protect your string from excess wear when you put your cam into the dirt. Ground hunting or spot and stock just got easier. If you want to experience what I'm talking about, head to your nearest Hoyt dealer and take a test drive yourself. You can learn more at Hoyt.com. The Mobile Hunters Expo is a consumer-based hunting show unlike any other. 
It provides an interactive learning experience where you can try all things mobile hunting and learn from the best in the business. Come experience an unbiased, community-based environment where you can improve your hunting skills and find the right equipment for your needs. I'll be speaking at the Nor'easter Show in Mannheim, Pennsylvania at Spooky Nook Sports from August 9th to 11th, 2024. So come check it out at, or either of the other shows in uh, Michigan and Georgia. You can purchase tickets online at the mobilehuntersexpo.com or grab tickets at the door. I'll see you there. And as soon as you, especially when it's cold, like you get in there, stuff starts thawing out and that moisture is coming up out of the ground. Like stuff's melting and like just, I love the titanium stoves, but I mean, it wasn't, it was lower than twenties on that, on that hunt. Um, and obviously it just changed like the comfort level and the ability to dry gear and all of that is just so nice. But like when like, like smoke as a scent source, um, I've just found never really scares, bothers deer that much. Um, but I, I try to be conscious of, of when I'm burning. Um, but I also will use that to look at what wind's doing. I'll use like a wind indicator yeah. uh, and I'll like watch the smoke, but uh it's definitely for people you know if you're gonna if you're gonna try the hot tent route um and and i've spent many 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 you know multi-day ice climbing trips without a hot you don't like you bring a warm enough down bag but you can be fine and you sleep with your gear you dry it out when you sleep it's how you behave is a little different but having a hot tent is a luxury like you can get away with a whole lot more of your own body's moisture management when you have a stove um, and they're nice to cook on. And I showed that in the video where I cook deer, you know, right in the tent on the, on the stove. Um, but that, that moisture management side, um, it's, it, you just got to practice it and know, you know, I, I tend to kick away leaves and even, you know, there's times where like the ticks will be dormant, but like they'll come out when they warm up because they're in the tent. Yeah. <laughs> like suddenly, suddenly a tick goes basically in hibernation. It's like, Whoa, Hey food. Um, uh, so these are all, you know, factors that I guess you just kind of compute and deal with, but, um, you know, it's, uh, it's, it's definitely, um, you know, it's nice. I mean, I, a lot of people just, again, they just, they just don't do it. Uh, and, and I highly encourage, it's just a different way of having a really fun adventure to me. Yeah. And, and, and so I like the hot tent route and I have the exact same setup that you do. And, and one thing I like about it more so than me, like staying warm, cause my sleeping bag does that well, but there's nothing better than being able to fire it up in the morning before you're going, when you make some coffee and you warm up your boots before you go out because that's the, the the thing that always gets cold on me is my feet and especially if you're out all day and maybe they get a little bit of damp or maybe you even sweat in it and it's just like and you get a freezing night and then all of a sudden the inside of your boots like frozen and cold it's just like that that is the most calming re- rewarding feeling of warming up your boots before you and i just i know you could throw them in your sleeping bag i just don't want to throw dirty boots in my sleeping bag so mm-hmm. <laughs> here's my best here's my best uh, uh tip experience for cold sleeping bags and cold boots so if you aren't sleeping with a hot tent um the, 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 what i will do and this was just from ice climbing um you know we used to, I used to do like multi-day ice climbing trips on mount washington um up in new hampshire and like it's cold you know single digit or negative um uh and 
before bed, about 20 minutes before you want to get in the sleeping bag, boil water and fill an algae with it, wrap it in a shirt, throw it in the sleeping bag. Don't don't cinch down the lid too tight because you can split an algae and cap if you tighten it too tight and can leak. But just put it on decently snug, throw it in a sleeping bag. And your sleeping bag will be nice and toasty when you climb in for the evening. And it'll actually keep you warm most of the night. And then you also have that water that won't freeze to drink throughout the night. Same thing, though, if you bring those smaller and more narrow analogies, you can boil water in the morning with your breakfast, fill that up, and just stick it in your boot. And stick it in your boot for 10 minutes. And then refill it, stick it in the other boot. Um, and your boots are nice and warm when you go to put them on. So. Oh, that's, yeah, that's a that's a good tip with the boot thing, because I've done the Nalgene in the sleeping bag before, which is super helpful to be able to do it, but I hadn't thought about putting them in my boots to be able to dry them out or warm, just warm up a little bit, kind of, because you've, you've had it before where those, your boots are almost rock solid and they won't even bend, you know. I put them on frozen. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> oh. It's not, it's not fun. Like, you know, you just know, like, it sucks when you put them on and you know, all right, half hour hiking, they'll fall out, but like, you know, it's going to, it's, it's not fun. It's not pleasant. No. Um, uh, so that's my only, that's my only tip on dealing with really cold frozen boots is the smaller now. I don't have one sitting here, but you know, the narrower ones yep. um, are good for warming up boots because they fit. Huh? No, that's that's uh, really good to know. The um, one other thing I wanted to, to touch on with this hunt, and it kind of relates to to other hunts, but you know, hunting with a muzzleloader. So this was something you know back when when you worked for a company that was in in that space, and you were talking to me about it. I was like, I've never really done much muzzleloader hunting other than flintlock that we've had in Pennsylvania, but now all of a sudden I'm seeing, you know, Pennsylvania alone, we have a bear season in October. That's muzzleloader. Now there's, you know, you go to New York has muzzleloader season. I'm just talking about States around me, you know, Ohio. And this is where last year's the first time that I went out with an inline muzzleloader and hunted, you know, in, in, uh, January, they had a, a season. I think it was a three day season that you could hunt with a muzzleloader. It's like, it opened up all these different opportunities by you know picking up a different weapon you know i've always either used a bow or a rifle and that was kind of the the main two weapons and and the more i've learned about all these different states and different things that you can use muzzleloaders are a pretty useful tool oh inc- incredibly um you know a lot of people will start bow hunting to extend their season um you know natural it's very like archery season and then right and like and it's, it's normal um and then like muzzleloaders it, it, the 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 season for them really varies highly across the country. Yeah, but uh, and and they have a stigma about you know they're not accurate and fifty yard accuracy and that's a bunch of hooey. Um, so you know modern muzzleloaders of various flavors um, can easily shoot hundreds of yards um, with the right setup. Um, and so I started muzzleloader hunting in Vermont. Uh, largely again just to extend the seasons um and it was it was you know a couple pallets and you know sabo um and you get about two shots before you can't even get them back in the you can't even put them back down the barrel and they're just all ugly and messy um and but now with modern powders like blackhorn 209 that burn clean like i i clean my muzzle loader at the end of the season and that's it and i go to the range and shoot and i'll shoot We'll, we'll do, we would do range media days and we shoot hundreds of rounds without no swabbing whatsoever. Um, huh. So Blackhorn 209 is, is just a super clean powder. There's modern, you know, 
Parabell, the Hornady, like there's numerous bar, making great projectiles that are really, really accurate. So my first muzzleloader was the Thompson Center Pro Hunter. Um, and that was like, you could change the barrel rifle to muzzleloader to turkey gun. So I just kind of use the same single shot throughout the season if I was gun hunting. Um, and then uh, at, at, with CVA, um, it was, I'm still a, I favor just simple break actions, but now modern, there's modern muzzle loaders that, you know, a bolt, uh, you know, actuates the primer. Uh, you still load from the muzzle. Um, but, you know, those are 700 yard, you know, guns. And not that I'd ever encourage anybody muzzle loading in that distance, but like the technology is there and it's fun to shoot steel there and, yeah. and hear the ring and get the feedback. Um, but it's, you know, it really opens up opportunities for extending seasons, for getting tags, because a lot of places it's just easier to draw because the competition for those tags is less, especially in some Western states that like you can draw, you know, sometimes you can get archery tags easier certain general hunt, but like, you know, if you play the, the Western tag game, um, there can be advantages in, in what you're willing to use as your weapon. Um, and frankly, you know, modern muzzle loaders, um, they're, they're not that much different anymore than like I have in the 4570 a lot, you know, and even there's some places that have legalized, you know, straight wall and, and you can use that during muzzleloader season. But the accuracy um, is there uh, and the consistency is there and you don't have to worry about, again, rain going on the barrel. You know, that video is a good example. Uh, you know, it's pouring yeah. rain and ain't wasn't no problem <laughs> uh, shooting it um, and, and they shoot flat um, and. So I, I highly encourage anybody, if you haven't um, picked up a muzzleloader or looked at what's out there now, and I've heard a lot of commentary of, you know, uh, somebody's a crossbow hunter. Well, my crossbow is just as accurate. I'll just keep hunting with that. Um, and fine, I'm not going to judge somebody for that kind of statement. Um, but it doesn't help you with tags. It doesn't help you with season extensions. You know, it doesn't. It doesn't. Do um it's not going to extend your season. I don't care, you know, until you pick up a muzzle loader. Um, and there's, there's, there's some, I mean, you know, there's states that don't allow rifles like you. Yeah. <laughs> so if you're willing to have a muzzle loader or a shotgun, you can hunt there. Uh, um, so if, if you, if you are a traveling hunter, uh, or against extend your seasons, um, you know, I highly, highly suggest getting familiar with the muzzle. And a lot of those old stigmas of, again, they're dirty, they're, they're hard to clean. Uh, they're unreliable. They're not accurate. None of those apply with modern muzzle loaders. Yeah. From various. Now the one that the one that I have, I don't even know what the brand is of it. It's it's old and um, it's cheap and it you know and it's even with that you know shooting a hundred yards was very repeatable and it was just like to, I mean when I say old, it's not that old. It's just not not a very good. It's not a CVA or anything like that, but. I, I just, I think that there's so much more opportunity, even like out West, like you were saying, Colorado, for example, you can get a, a muzzleloader elk tag to hunt during the rut and pretty easily in a lot of places and a lot of units and hunt elk during the rut with a muzzleloader. And I believe there's, don't quote me on it, but some regulations, I don't think you can use a scope or whatever, but it's man there's that's there's that there's definitely some regs you gotta navigate yeah there's places where you're like you have to have an exposed primer you can only shoot lead projectiles or you know no op, no optic no magnification like a red dot's okay but you can't have magnification or it has to be open sight so you, there's some of that you certainly have yeah. to navigate 
But then, but then there's like, you know, like you were just, you're talking about Tennessee there. Like you're hunting whitetails in the rut with a gun, you know, essentially like that's awesome that you can, that you're able to do that. And, and, and I just, I don't know. I want to, that's one thing that I want to work on. It probably won't be as much this year. I might dabble with a little bit more, but I really need to, when I go into something, I need to put the time forth to it and, you know, like practice a lot throughout the summer and just kind of get dialed with something and start planning some hunts that are around muzzler season. Cause I think it'd just be, it'd be cool. And I don't know how the Northeast is. Is there, is there special seasons up there as far as like, uh, like in November and everything for muzzleloader? There are, um, I'm trying to like remember Vermont was like opposite a lot. It was like muzzleloader came in last. It was like a late season thing. And some other states are like that. Um, whereas like Tennessee, it comes in, it goes archery, muzzleloader, rifle. Um, oh, okay. And so I, yeah, I think, I think New York is, is it's archery, rifle, muzzleloader. If, if, and if I'm not seems mistaken. like a lot of New England states, muzzleloader is at the end. Yeah. Okay. Um, uh, and again, it just varies, you know, you just got to look, but it's all of that still falls into my head of, how can I hunt longer and more? Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, and, and, and get the right weapon that suits it. But again, I can't speak highly enough about a modern powder, like Blackhorn 209, um, for what it does to just get rid of all the, frankly, the hassles of muzzleloader hunting, which is cleaning and, you know, not, you got to, you know, shoot a couple shots and you got to swab and re- and all of that. Like he frankly just goes away with black. Like, and I'm not sponsored by black. I know nothing. I'm not, yeah. <laughs> I've never worked for him. Uh, I just love it. Like it, it just, and I was, and I was even like, I was a pellet guy, right? The triple seven, like, all right, I get it. I can get it. Two pellets down the barrel and I'm going to, you know, I don't want to measure stuff. Like I don't want to have to deal with that. Um, you know, two pellets and a, and a Sabo. And then, and then it wasn't until I really, had experience shooting it that I was like, Oh, I'm never going back. Like, and, and I didn't make pre, you know, I carry three pre-measured vials. And it's not like it's even like, you have to really get super, I, I, I still go off like the line. Right? Yeah. I tap it on the, yeah. Like as long as you shoot consistently, like I'm not overly like worried about measuring grains. Certainly it's not hard to measure grains of powder. Um, but I'm still like simple enough. I don't have to worry about it. Like, but I just like, I'll measure out, uh, you know, um, and I put it in those vials and I'll keep the projectile in there with it. So it's just pour it down. Um, the main thing, don't, my main advice is don't make the mistake that I made. Um, uh, uh, first deer I killed with um, Blackhorn, um, it instantly fell. And uh, I've tracked enough um, or personally like that one of the, one of the, or kind of red flags. It's usually not good when a deer just collapses like a sack of potatoes. Like you get a ton of tracking calls. The deer went down like a sack of potatoes and then he flopped around a little bit and I got down from my stand. He got up and ran off. And it's that high backstrap stun shot where you hit the spinal process and it knocks out their nervous system, but they lay there and he gets their wits back and they get up and run off and you never find them because they're not dead. Um, uh, so this deer just, co- just went down Um and it was like a 200 yard muzzleloader shot in Georgia. Um, and I was like, oh, right, reload, you know, I got, like there's going to get up, like I shot high, you know, like, like reload. And then I go and I, I didn't have the funnel. So, uh, <laughs> and I had a muzzle break on it. 
too. So like you can't pour powder in even carefully when there's a muzzle break, like powder just kind of bounces off yeah. the back and whatnot. Um, so I didn't have a follow-up shot. And I'm like, well, if it gets up, it gets up. Like I got, I can't do anything about it. Um, and it ended up being a perfect shot. And it was just that it was that high shoulder right under the spine. So it clipped top of the shoulder and straight under the bottom of his spinal cord and just you know, instant death. But, um, uh, Remember, if you're going to shoot powder, bring a, bring the funnel. Huh. Okay. <laughs> oh, that's, that's, it's definitely good to know. What, yeah. what would you, um, I guess, how would you recommend someone getting started in a, into muzzleloader hunting? Like, is there any like basics they should look for as far as in a, the actual gun or, or just in general, what, what should you think about? You gave a little bit about the powder and everything, but as far as, um, in general, uh, you know, I would certainly, uh, day and age of youtube um you know watch videos um uh you know talk to friends who who do muzzleloader hunt there's a lot of opinions on muzzleloaders because there's always been this kind of element of you know witchcraftery about you know how to get them shooting good and, and grouping good you know i shoot i shoot a muzzleloader uh loophole ultimate slam scope which has you know some preset you know 50 100 yard indicators in the scope um, and you can kind of set two pellets or three pellets and it still holds. Um, so, you know, don't, my, my advice would be start shooting. If you want to use pellets out of the gate, fine. Just know you're going to need bore butter and some cleaner and you're going to have to swab. Um, and it's not like it's hard. You know, you take the ramrod and screw on a, the swab that comes in standard muzzle loader cleaning kits and you just run it down through the barrel and then you keep shooting, but you're not going to want to shoot a lot of groups. You're going to want to shoot, you know, one, two shots, maybe three shots and then clean. Um, and you know, try to don't set yourself up for failure. Try to keep it within a hundred yards until you really know, you know, your gun is good out from that. You know, I have full confidence in my, in my muzzle loader, my break action to 300. Like I know it shoots that lights out all day long. Um, uh, and I don't, again, I don't, I've, I've only shot in my whole hunting career, you know, one, uh, one animal at that distance. Uh, and that was a caribou with a 4570 on the tundra of Alaska. So, <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty awesome. uh, and, I, and I knew that was a 30 inch drop. So I just put it two feet over its back and let it rip on its leg and let it rip. But, um, you know, no branches, no twigs, nothing you can't see, just wide open. Wide open. Uh, yeah. uh so, um, you know, but, you know, muzzleloader, again, I hunt, you know, we hunt in the East, right? Uh, you know, I, if you, if you hunt out West, pretty much everybody that hunts a lot out West is going to be proficient shooting at hundreds of yards because it's normal. Um, most of the time I can't even see what I'm hunting no. within a hundred yards. <laughs> so, uh, it's all within a hundred yards and usually it's much, much closer than that. Right. So, um, but you obviously want to have confidence in it. Um, and you. familiar with your weapon um and if you can find blackhorn and want to start down that path awesome it'll save you some hassle uh um and you know try for different projectiles with your gun just like any gun they like if some guns like different loads and like different projectiles so you know play around until you find something you're happy with and comfortable with and that you know is gonna is gonna be on when the time comes 
Yeah, no, that, that, that makes a lot of sense. And, and yeah, I'm, I'm glad you talked about the, the powder, what do you call it powder horn? Is that what it was? Uh, Blackhorn. Blackhorn, Blackhorn. Yep. Okay. Yep. Yeah. Cause yeah. Blackhorn I, is a good gun shop in Vermont and Burlington. <laughs> okay. Cause I, I, I just used the pellets like you were talking yep. about and that's just, you know, what I did, I put two pellets down in there and, and then I can't remember what I was using. Um, as, as the projectile but anyways nonetheless it was just like it was just kind of like an intro into it you know i watched a few videos and then just went out and practiced with it and yeah it really doesn't it probably wouldn't take that long to to get to a point where you can at least go out and do it and you know, like you said if you start and you're like okay i'm proficient even at 70 80 yards or whatever you determine like you can eventually kind of grow from there with it but no i think that's i think that's super cool to to be able to have that opportunity um it's only a kick a jump a block it's only a serve it's only a tackle a run it's only for the fans after all it's only pressure you got this adidas Other than that, I wanted to ask you about, you know, moving to Virginia, like, you know, hunting the the mountains in Tennessee and stuff for deer. Like, have you spent much time in Virginia hunting and like, how, how does that compare and contrast? So, uh, most of my time in Virginia, like back in the nineties was a lot of rock climbing, a lot of whitewater kayaking, a lot of backpacking in the AT. Um, so I have that kind of just general knowledge of, of the area. Um, but the mountains here are different. The fauna is different. Um, you know, in Tennessee, I had, you know, deer and wild boar essentially as, as two targets. Um, here it's bear. We, 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 you couldn't hunt bear rather than Tennessee, but here there's a lot of bear. Um, and there's different amount. Like we didn't have a lot of in Tennessee, even like funnel, like we didn't have a lot of rhododendron, you know, or mountain laurel where I lived. Where here it's really prevalent. So what deer bed in, is like deer love to bed under mountain laurel and, and rhododendron thickets and so do bear. Um, it just stay, it's really dense cover, low to the ground. It stays cool. Um, so here it's, I'm the other, the other big factor difference is there were some pretty rugged places in Tennessee that again, the whole like deer just get on down there. Nobody can get them out. You can't get a four wheeler in kind of mentality. Yep. Um, there were just kind of like out west, if you're looking, if you're like doing an elk hunt, right? You kind of like try to pick zones with no roads. Here's a lot of national forest, and there's just a lot of old national forest roads. So there were like, there were some large areas of Tennessee that were really rugged with no roads of any kind or trail system like at all. Um, so it was easier to get away to places than it is here in Virginia. It seems like every ridge and every valley here has a road in it. It might be a gated off forest service road, you know, but you can ride an e-bike or, you know, you can hike it. And then, so you end up kind of either on the, on a bottom road or you're on a ridge top and everything in between, like somebody could come up or somebody could come down on you. Um, and it was kind of like an eye opener. You know, I was, I moved here and you know, I was pulling up on X and he goes, all right, I'm going to go check this spot. I'm going to go check this spot. You know, I was studying satellite and I'm like, all right, here we go. Like check, check, check. Like the first place I went to, it was 
like where the Appalachian Trail crossed. on their rigs and i just turned around and left i'm like well that one was a bust yeah <laughs> um and and that's i was like okay so the access like the trailhead access here is just way easier um and so i'm i'm now i'm i'm, I'm, that, I'm in that stage of you know, like again where am i gonna have to work to find the unpressured pockets where there's no roads that you know like for a while yeah. you know and if I have to hike a day in or if I have to hike in for, you know, a few hours in the dark, you know, how to, how to get there. Um, or do I even need it? Like the, the deer density in Tennessee was frankly low by most East coast standards, um, where I lived. Uh, there wasn't, there's not a lot of ag. There's, there's, there's again, big chunks of like old timber. The nutrition's not there like it is, whether you have an ag and timber combination. Whereas here, like the new river Valley has a lot of good genetics, a lot of nutrients just from that old river system. You know, the new river is one of the oldest rivers in the world, even though it's ironically called the new river. Um, <laughs> but, um, and obviously the Appalachians are really, really, really old mountain system, but, um, you know, it's just different. The, 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 the number of deer here is, is way higher. Um, uh, and the quality of, of the box is higher, um, than, than where I was. So I'm looking forward to right now I'm doing just what I would do there this time of year. I'm looking, I'm out scouting white oaks. Yeah. <laughs> you know, just, I'm just out finding spots where I find I'm seeing, and they're already falling here. I don't know about you, where you are, but they're, they're yeah. some squirrels are cutting them and the breeze comes by and some just fall, but it's just kind of on that front edge. Um, but already if I find the right white Oak, there's a ton of deer droppings underneath it. Um, and so, you know, I'll be, I'll be kind of figuring out, um, I've never had an e-bike, but there's a lot of places here that are in national forest gated roads where you can't bring an ATV, but an e-bike uh, is, is legal. Um, so I'm, you know, I'm like, Oh, maybe I want to you know pick one up so I can, you know, ride this ridge in a lot farther. It kind of reminds me of Idaho in that sense. There's a lot of places in Idaho where there's a lot of old logging roads that are just gated. Um, but you can cover a lot of ground if you have like an e-bike. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, you know, I don't know what, what my methods will be. I'm certainly like, I always do looking for kayak accessible spots. Um, cause you know, uh, you know, you know, the hunting public guys are like, there's a kayak is, or a canoe is a great tool to get to places yeah, people are. hundred uh, percent. Uh, so, um, and people have kind of picked up on that, uh, that are trying to, to again. And so I've, I've got one spot picked out where I'm going in by canoe with a tent and I'll spend three, four days in there. And I don't know what I'll see, but I'll, I'll learn and I'll have fun. Yep. Um, uh, I don't even know if I'll go scout at first. I'm probably just going to go, <laughs> you know, <laughs> uh, uh, I don't, and, and that's okay. I'll just go enjoy myself. Um, uh, and so, yeah, just kind of figuring that out. Certainly the, like the bear factor, like learning what the bears are hitting for their food source, um, as it varies, um, cause they're pretty, you know, food keyed in on certain things, certain time of year. Um, so I look forward to, to kind of learning about the bear here. Um, and, and hopefully have more encounters than just incidental random ones like you know yeah. strategically you know you can't bait here or anything but um you know there's large there's large 
you know, blackberry patches I know of on ridges. Um, uh, and there's, uh, you know, when you, you obviously you get in a good stand of certain acorns will be on the beach and, uh, like, you know, figuring out what they're eating and when at what time um, of year. Yeah. Yeah. You know, blackberry patches. I, you know, I, I can think of a few, like in really good blackberry patches in Tennessee. Um, but again, there weren't really bears there. The deer would use like the deer eat that stuff, eat those big, like the big briar thickets was great cover and food for them late, like late sea. I don't know where you are, but that's the same exact deer, way it is in yeah, Pennsylvania. A lot of deer will like live in briar patches late because it's just the best nutrient source around at the time. Um, and, uh, they can be hard to hunt in there. Cause a lot of times you like, they don't leave it. Like there's some big thickets. Like I would just climb a tree to a watch and all I'd ever see is like white chins going up to eat. Like, you know, these are, these are briar thickets over my head. You know, you just see the occasional white chin pop up. You're like, man, I just got to figure out. Like but a lot of times they're just bedding in it. Like you can't, yeah. not, almost not touch it, not touchable. Um, but you know, I would try to hunt those late because you know, a, one of those late fawns would usually come in and, there'd usually be a big buck that would get stupid again late, um, trying to get her. Um, and I had a few encounters, um, that's certainly memorable. The deer is still there cause he beat me, but, um, uh, <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's part of the fun. Um, but yeah, like those kind of spots, I'll just be learning them, you know, I'll just be out hiking. Um, and last season, uh, you know, I didn't, I didn't kill a deer in Virginia. I went on a few times. I saw one good buck with a bow out of range. Um, and but I, got, I was bouncing around between Tennessee and Pennsylvania a lot. Um, and so my, my highlight of last season was the backpack hunt in yeah. Tennessee. I just was like, I am not, I'm like, I have a lifetime license so I can go back as much as I want. Um, Cause the, the nice thing in there, the lifetime license, if you move, it stays with you. Awesome. So, so I bought, I got a lifetime license for my son and myself. Um, that was one of my stimulus check treats. I figured, well, if the federal government's going to give me this money, I might as well give it back to the state. Thanks for my license. <laughs> <laughs> uh, um, and I was just like dead set. I'm like, no matter what happens, I'm, I'm going to spend four days during that window of early November, you know, in one of my favorite spots that I've made so many memories. Um, and worked out. Um, so here, you know, it's going to be just finding those, finding the new little hideaways, or maybe I don't have to work as hard. I don't know. It's, you know, it's interesting. Some people that hunt a lot and kill a lot of big deer, like they'll watch, you know, how I hunt or how we hunt. Um, and they just kind of like, well, why do you work so hard? Like, you don't have to work that hard. You can just go, you know, you can just go sit up, sit on this field and eventually you just shoot them. Um, and, and that's great. If, if, and if that's their satisfaction level, but I, I get, I get satisfaction from the process. Um, so that, all of the process, uh, from gear packing and looking at maps and everything about it. Uh, it's just, to me, it's a more like, it's like maximizing the fun, right? Like I get to enjoy start to finish. Um, <clears throat> so it's just going to be, I, I, I enjoy the process of learning. Right. So, um, it, uh, that will be my, my focus here, um, is staying healthy. I've been battling a back problem, but other than that, um, it, like I'll start with day hunts and I'll see what my back can handle. Um, and, uh, certainly getting out with Jaeger. Um, we, we, we track some here. Uh, his son Grizzly had his oldest track. His Grizzly's got a 29 hour old recovery. Um, that was a, 
Finally, Matt uh, quartering, bow shot, bumped the deer twice, waited till the next day, and we found it with Grizzly. So I don't tell Jaeger that because I might blow his head up. I think his oldest is around 26 hours. So, uh, <laughs> to find out his son at a 29-hour-old, you know, it's going to crush his world. Um, so, um, but that's a great way to also just kind of learn um, behavior, you know, and, yep. and, and, what, and where the deer are like here versus Tennessee with, with some of the different, you know, I, there's not as much. Like Tennessee, there were spots where like thumb diameter briar thickets, like over your head, like just really, really like impenetrable, like using machetes to try to get stuff out of. Whereas here, I have yet to encounter like that. Um, the rhododendron thickets, like those places, you know, even in North Georgia tracking there, you know, where like tracked a bear there for a buddy and it was like, you know, hands and knees crawling under rhododendron, like that stuff's pretty, can shut yeah. you down. Um, uh, so learning that, but again, the deer like it. So I think here it's going to be a lot more, I think a lot, the terrain in Tennessee on the Cumberland plateau is a lot more flat and just drops and like big, big gorges, big, steep stuff here. It's the mountains are, you know, the AT kind of runs some spines and stuff, but there's a lot of spots. I'm sure you've experienced in Pennsylvania too, where it's like, there'll be two saddles and the deer will just move between like the saddles yeah. spot to be. Um, at the right wind, they're like, they may bed on the sat on, on one hump and, you know, move off. So it's figuring, you know, learn, figuring that out. Um, and you know, like anything, it's figuring out, I always say, if you think like a deer or any animal, if I'm hunting any animal or fishing, I don't care what it is. Like they need three things. They need food, they need water and they need shelter. So if you make all of your decisions based on where are they eating? Where are they drinking? And where are they sleeping? Usually can do all right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and every once in a while, you get that fourth factor of being horny. So yeah, uh, I was just going to throw that one in there. That, that adds another element you know, during the. Run. Yeah. So that's that's the fourth one, but that one's not always there. The other three are always there. Yep. Uh, so uh, that's that'll be kind of my my mentality uh, for this season. We'll be focusing on those those pillar of those three, the, the tripod of success, so to speak. Um, and just learning the mountains, learning the woods here. Yeah, no, that's awesome. I'm excited to see how you, how you learn it and, you know, being different, you know, the rhododendron and, and Mount Laurel tickets, they can get pretty nasty, like you said, but those deer love to bed under that rhododendron, especially because yeah. it gets, it creates like an umbrella for them, you know, it gives them shade, but they can also see underneath it because when they're laying right. down, so they have that visual there. It's, it's a pretty cool, uh, I like areas that have that stuff. It can be nasty when you get to the big you know, the big swaths of it, but, um, it could be super cool. So I'm, I'm excited for you. And then, um, and did you, uh, also want to tell people as far as like what you're doing as far as for work and maybe some people are interested in, in that now? Yeah. So moving here, you know, we kind of didn't know what we we're going to do. Um, uh, and we, fortunately that's my wife and I, you know, we had a, our son's five, we decided we we're going to move somewhere that, kind of hat fit our outdoor values of public land rivers and um, good educational system. So we kind of, we picked here, you know, this area hasn't really done like the Asheville to the world in my lifetime, but you know, we're had a certain vibe in the nineties, but you know, they're like Boulder East now. Um, nothing, like, I'm not judging. It's just different. It's yeah. a different town than it used to be. A lot of people have moved a lot of places. Whereas here, 
it's like between what the university owns and the national forest, there's just, you kind of, it kind of can't sprawl like some parts of the country can. Yep. Um, but, uh, so I'll be helping, I'm helping, I'll be obviously, uh, I'll be doing some product consulting, um, uh, doing some media stuff and, and Jaeger tracks, certainly helping hunters with Jaeger. Um, but also, uh, Mossy Oak properties, I'll be helping, helping hunters find recreational land around here. So, awesome. um, I look forward to helping, you know, getting out on parcels and helping people understand the wildlife that's there and, you know, certainly how I'd hunt it and, and kind of help them envision themselves really enjoying the outdoor resources that this area has. Cause it's quite prevalent. There's world-class paddling, there's world-class rock climbing. There's obviously good hunting. There's good fly fishing. Uh, there's, you know, overland trails. There's, you know, there's, if you like to do stuff, active adventure sports outside this is kind of kind of a, a sleeper mecca you know you always see those outside magazine you know best adventure towns and um they tend to focus on kind of, they kind of like recycle the, the obvious ones bozeman boulder and you know Asheville and yeah. um uh uh but this is one that i could say like for an actual like mountain again mountain biking is incredible here like for an actual like outdoor active enthusiast I would put this area up against any of them. Um, Dang, so. you make me want to move there. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, you're welcome anytime. Uh, I'm, I'm happy to uh, have you here. We, we actually have a guest room now, but um, uh, yeah, it's a, uh, it's, it's a nice area. I fell in love with this area back in the nineties um, and was always looking for a good reason to come back. And um, as we looked at, you know, where we were going to go, it was kind of North Georgia. My wife's from Vermont. So Ash wanted to be within a day's drive of getting back home to Vermont. So we can do that now. Um, it's a long day, but it's a day, not, not an overnighter anymore. Um, and, uh, those the kids understand that a day drive with a, with children and dogs is much less stressful than an overnight stop in a hotel with children and dogs. So, <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, so yeah, it. uh, I look forward. My biggest bummer of here was, like I mentioned earlier, we didn't have a lot of snow. Usually they average 20 inches of snow here a year. And last winter was just so mild. Um, Cause I was, I use snow big time for like my, my dream every deer season is that I can track deer in the snow heat wherever I live. Like I could in Vermont or Ontario, or, you know, New England. Um, people, again, that's not a like, technique people just don't do in the South, but like every time in Tennessee, it snowed. A lot of times I just get out because it, wild boar would still be in season and I could just track boar down in the snow and hunt them. Um, but again, you learn so much about wildlife movement once it snows. Um, so I, I hope we get a snowy winter this year. So I'm going to be out every time I get more than two inches. I'm going to be out looking for footprints. <laughs> yeah, that's <laughs> that's awesome. Well, cool. Um, where, where can you tell people as far as where to be able to find your stuff, your YouTube channel, Instagram, anything like that as well? Um, so I have, uh, I mentioned Jaeger tracks numerous times, JaegerTracks.com, Jaeger tracks on YouTube, um, in, uh, social media, everything's all just Jaeger tracks. Um, and then personally, it's just my name, Damon Bungard, uh, again on YouTube. Um, I try to put all Jaeger's tracking videos now onto Jaeger tracks. I, for a while, I was combining them all, but there was enough interest that I started moving them. And those videos, I try to make pretty educational. There's, there's an educational element I try to do with all my videos because it's just natural to me. Um, but 
the Jaeger videos, I really try to break down the sign uh, versus what the dog is doing versus, you know, um, the terrains I'll use, I'll show 3d, you know, I'll show the, the aerials and, and where we're moving and what the deer did and why. Um, and, um, to hopefully help people understand making better decisions, how long to wait, um, or, you know, is it easy? Is it hard? Um, and so all of those videos are kind of there, you know, I just posted one up, um, that kind of explain like, young how can like how could a two-hour-old track be harder than a 24-hour-old track um for a dog with a, like jaeger and the answer is because like a two-hour-old gut shot like turns his dial from he's got the tracking hunting there's no zero right it's only he the only time it's on zero is if he's asleep on the couch like if, if he's outside he's either tracking or hunting something it could be a chipmunk or a mouse or, i don't know whatever but if he smells gut fresh gut it'll turn that like focused tracking mine to like crazy hunt i'm gonna go kill it find it whatever and any fresh scent of any deer he's like i'm gonna find every freaking deer in the woods um <laughs> and so that video kind of the latest one explains that um and it was it was a like a bad gut shot like the deer disemboweled itself in the end that we found it but so there was just so much scent um you know that'll really that'll mess with a dog like jaeger like yeah it's like he's even yeah, i tested him he's gotten to where if it's too easy, it's like, he'll be like, yeah, yeah, the dead one's over there, but I'm going to get the other three. <laughs> and like, uh, <laughs> I, I, I literally tested it once. Like I, I gave a friend of mine shot a deer for in Tennessee and Grizzly was a young puppy and I let him track it. And then I was already suspicious that Jaeger was doing this. Um, and it was a quartering, like gut liver shots of lots of different scents in that um so i was like now it's legal that i can put yeah we've already found it i can i can run jaeger off lead and on tennessee you have to do it by leash but i was like when well, we found we know where it is i, I can let him do this I'm, I'm gonna watch jaeger off lead just so i know what he does and sure enough he like ran some like crazy dog laps the hit site and then he like runs to the trail where the other is like a group of eight deer and the, he runs to where the other deer left and he comes back and he just runs to the he runs to the dead one and I'm watching like Benak, like watching him. And he just like, he's like, usually he stops and he'll tug and chew on it and like have a reward. He just like glancingly was like, got one. And then he ran right back to where the other one all <laughs> left and wanted to keep going. I called him back on e-collar, but I was like, all right, now I know that about him. So <clears throat> other than that, there's a lot of other videos just about, you know, gut shot deer being bumped or liver shot deer being bumped and what those, how those deer behave and what they do. So that's all Jaeger tracks. And then again, personally, like this latest backpack hunt that was on my Damon and Bungard channel. Um, and, uh, on social media and, and, and YouTube. And then, uh, you can find me again for Damon Bungard Mossy Oak properties. If anybody's actually looking for recreational property down in this area, happy to talk to them about it. Awesome. Well, thank you, Damon. It was good to get to talk to you again and, and run through it. It's, uh, it's been too long and, and, um, I love, I love watching your videos when they come out and, and just like bringing that adventure from like, again, the Western style into the East. So I hope everyone checks it out. And again, thanks for coming on. Thanks for having me. Uh, keep doing what you're doing. I enjoy your content as well. And you know, you, you touched on a lot of people just need that, that gap closure to understand that. All right. I don't know how to get from point A to point B. Yep. So um, uh, enjoy it. Keep, keep it going. Appreciate it. You bet.
Thanks so much for listening to this episode of East Meets West Hunt with your host, Bo Martonic. For more great content and to stay up to date, visit eastmeetswesthunt.com, Facebook at East Meets West Outdoors, and Instagram at East Meets West Hunt. If you enjoyed today's episode, please review and subscribe, and we'll catch you next time.